Well, good morning. Hope y'all had a Merry Christmas a couple days ago. As we start, I want to start with a question this morning. What do we really need? What do we really need? The world often will tell us that our, our deepest, our truest needs start with our physical needs, safety, the need, and then the need for longing, belonging, the need for love, the need for self-esteem. And when we have these needs, and only when we have all of these, then we'll be able to, the term is often called self-actualize. We'll be able to truly live the life we were meant to have. We'll have a fulfilling, a productive life. That's, uh, if you are familiar with that, that's based on a, a pyramid that's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I, have a, I remember in college I was a psychology major and so you'd see this all the time. But it's not just common in psychology, any psychology course, it's common really throughout the whole culture. Uh, it, whether that's in any classroom setting, uh, whether it's um, the, the government, this idea of self-esteem, what really fulfills us, is taught in a lot of places. You can see it, whether that's in Disney movies or in uh, the governmental priorities, humanitarian efforts. Basically, everything in our culture is, is based on these ideas that this is what we need and what we need to seek after in order to have a, a good, a fulfilling life. But the Bible, the Bible tells us something different about what we truly need. And our passage this morning announces that truth of what we truly need. And it confronts us really with how we must believe what the Bible says we truly need over and above what we might hear from the culture abroad on what we need in our lives. We are in Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning. So First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. So we are in Nehemiah 8 this morning, and Nehemiah 8 really announces to us what we really need. So as you turn there, as we begin to think about this, it would be helpful this morning if we have a little background, a little context of what's going on here in Nehemiah 8. So you remember we, we studied through the life of Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, a covenant that he would make him into a great nation, right? And then this wouldn't be without challenges. We saw that even in the life of Abraham. But God prophesied that Abraham's descendants, they would first be slaves before they would become this great nation. And so at the end of Genesis, we see that happening. Joseph and his family, they go down into Egypt. The beginning of Exodus starts, and we see them enslaved in Egypt. But God's plan is not over. God delivers them out of Egypt through Moses. They have an exodus, and so God takes them out and eventually brings them to the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham. And then they enter into the land. And right before they go into the promised land, Moses repeats the law that God's given them. He gives them in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy literally means second law. So he repeats the law to them before they go into the land. And he tells them, if you, if you follow this law, if you stay faithful to God and his covenant, 
then you'll be blessed in the land. You'll prosper in the land. You'll, you'll dwell there in safety and security. But if you disobey, if you are unfaithful to the covenant, then there will be cursing that comes upon you. You'll be driven out. You'll be cast out. You'll be destroyed. And so as God has delivered this law, we see that the people go in and almost immediately they, they turn away from God. They forsake him. They, they follow after other gods. We see that in the book of Judges. But God remains patient with them. He's still merciful. He doesn't cast them out right away. He is a patient and merciful God. But eventually, because of their disobedience, they are exiled. Jerusalem is destroyed. They're taken captive, right? And then God's plan doesn't end there. He preserves a remnant. He preserves the seed, the line that will eventually Jesus will come from. And then that remnant that's been preserved goes back. He brings them back into the land of Israel. He brings them back into the land of promise. They return. And that's really that return from exile is really what the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are about. It's about return to the land, return to God. And so that's where we pick up in Nehemiah 8. The temple has been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. But worship of God really hasn't started back yet. And so onto the scene comes Ezra. And Ezra acts almost like a pastor in this book. And he's teaching them what it means to follow God, what it means to know God. And here in chapter 8, the people gather and Ezra reads them the law and teaches them what it means. So read with me if you have a Bible this morning. Ezra chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. Ezra 8, 1 through 12. Excuse me, Nehemiah 8. It's Ezra reading, but it's, we're in Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamim, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Amen. May God open our eyes to see amazing truth from his word this morning. So the people gathered together. Ezra has brought the people together to, to read the law, to bring worship back to Israel. And as he's restoring worship, what does he do? He, he reads the word of God. He doesn't have a motivational speech. He doesn't have fancy lighting or fancy music. He reads, he stands and he reads the Bible. He reads the word of God to them. He doesn't even read, it's fascinating to me, he doesn't even read the, the parts of the Bible that we usually find more interesting, right? He reads the law, he's probably reading from the second half of Exodus or from Deuteronomy as he reads, because he knows that what the people need is the word of God. And so he reads it to them. This is why... If you've ever wondered, this is why we have scripture reading during our service. We see examples in the Bible here in Ezra and in 1 Timothy about reading the Bible. That's why we read not just the passage that we're going to preach from, but also other parts of the Bible, because we need the Word of God. And I kind of wonder, when, when was the last time we got excited, you got excited to, to read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? But this is where those people's hearts were. This is where our hearts need to be. That's a sign of the, the Spirit working in us when we want the Bible, we want to read it. Even what might be the seemingly less interesting parts of the Bible, God and God makes his people into people who love his word, who want to hear from him and hear from all of what he says. And so this is what the people wanted to hear. Notice it's not just Ezra, the leader, who's directing in this way. In verse 1, it says that the people gathered and the people told him to bring the law and read it. The people wanted to hear this. They were, they were anxious for it. They wanted to hear what God had to say. And this is really the pattern of the people of God throughout the Bible. We think of places like Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. It's filled with verses about how the psalmist loves the word of God and wants to follow it, right? We think about 1 Peter and how he talks about tasting and seeing the goodness of God and his word. John chapter 10 talks about how the sheep of God hear the voice of Jesus. They hear it and they want to follow him and his voice, his words. That's a sign that we are one of Jesus's sheep is we want to hear his word and follow it. And 1 John 5, 3 says that we can measure our love of God by our obedience to the word. And so 
all of the Christian life really is centered around the word of God, how we follow it, how we love it. The word of God is what the people of God need. And the people gathered to hear this word. The church, so to speak, came together and wanted to hear the Bible. And that's the inclination of the people of God. And so it's instructive to us that should guide really everything we do as a church, that we should be centered around the Bible. Everything when we gather is centered around the Word of God. Everything we do in the service shouldn't distract or redirect to something else, but should narrow our focus in to magnify the Word of God. So we see that a couple places in this passage. You notice Ezra, they had a basically a podium built. He stood on a platform, right? And he read the word of God. That platform, it didn't distract from the word, right? But it was a literally a platform for the word of God. It helped uh, more people hear the word of God and be able to receive it. That we have similar aspects for our service today. We see that the Bible prescribes aspects that are supposed to be in worship, that we're supposed to filter everything through what the Bible says and how can we focus on it. So for instance, right now you're hearing my voice probably, unless you're at the first two tables, you're probably hearing my voice through a a speaker, right? And that helps because it gets the word farther. More people are able to hear the word. It helps highlight it. It doesn't take away from it, at least not usually. But this is why we have speaker systems, but we don't have other things. Uh, For instance, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of interpretive painting during a worship service, or if you've been a part of that. It's a real thing. I've seen it. I've been in services. It's kind of interesting. But one of the reasons we don't do that is because it takes away. It doesn't focus in on the Bible. It focuses in on something else, and it kind of distracts from what we're here for. And so this is also why we sing certain songs and we don't sing other songs and donald can tell you all about that we we care about the words not all songs are created equal right some songs focus us more on the bible and the truths of the bible and what the bible says versus some other songs that focus us more on ourselves and so this is why we when we gather every part of our worship is meant to focus on the word i like to say it this way we we sing the word We pray the word, we read the word, and we preach the word. And that's what a service, a worship service is meant to be. And that's what, when the people gathered here, we see those things. We see them focused on the word. And we see that aspect, that fourth aspect, that kind of aspect of preaching. They read the law, verse 9, they read it, but then they gave understanding. They read it clearly. They gave the sense of what it meant so that the people understood the reading. So they didn't just get together and read it. There was what we might call today preaching, right? And this is why one of the reasons we have preaching in our services, because we know that it's important not just to hear, but to understand the Bible, not just understand it, but understand how does this affect my life? So one author put it this way, we, when we hear the word of God, the Bible, it, it announces truth to us, and it confronts us with its truth. So it, it announces and it confronts. Whenever we hear the Bible, those are two things that it's doing. So, for example, this passage announces to us that the Word of God is what we need as Christians. 
We need the word. That's the truth that announces. We have to believe this. We have to embed this truth in the deepest part of our mind and soul and focus our lives around it, that we desperately need to hear the word of God. Even as we read in our scripture reading that Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but we shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is a truth that it confronts us. It's not just a truth announced to us, but it confronts us because oftentimes we, we don't really center our lives around the Bible very well. We read the Bible, but does the amount of time or frequency that we're focused on the Bible really say that this is the most important thing to my life as a Christian? Does our frequency of gathering together with the church on Sunday show that we, we believe we need the Bible, that it's integral to our life? Or does other things, does something else become more important at times than the Bible? Does the Bible factor into our decision-making, the Word of God, when it comes to where we work or where we live or where we go to school? Does the Bible play that central role in our lives because it's God's Word to us and we are the people of God and we follow His Word? And so the Bible is announcing that we need the Word, that we should desire the Word. And as it's doing that, it also confronts us with this truth that our lives often don't line up with that reality, and we need to repent and turn and follow that truth, follow God's truth, and love the Word. So this passage teaches us about our desires. It declares to us the truth of God's Word, but it also teaches us about what happens when we hear the Bible. You might say these are causes or reasons that we should desire the Bible, the benefits that come from the Word of God. And we see really two things happening in this passage. As the people hear the Word of God read and explain to them, there are two things really. And one is that they're convicted of their sin. And then the other is that they have joy. The Word of God brings conviction and the Word of God brings joy. So we see these two things. First thing is that the Word of God brings conviction. We see that in verses 9 through 11. They read the Word of God. They understand it. And then they wept. They started crying because of what they heard. Because they were grieved. And they knew that as they understand the truth of the Bible and they honestly looked at themselves, their, their lives didn't line up with what they were hearing. And that bothered them. It grieved them. Because the word of God brings us face to face with our sin, right? The, the truth of God is where no area of our life will remain hidden. It's, it's a mirror, James says. We look into the mirror of the word and we can see who we really are. And that's incredibly important. The Bible will always not just show us reality, but show how our lives either line up or don't line up with that reality and that's incredibly important for us because we need that. I mean, think about how many other areas in your life, how many other things, how many other people do you know will give you an honest opinion, not just their opinion, but an honest assessment of reality of where you are falling short of God and his standard, right? We will always get that when we come humbly and we look into the word of God. 
it will always show us that mirror. But I'm reminded, too, as I think about the Word of God working in us, I'm reminded that not only does the Bible show us where we fall short, but it also it speaks the truth in love to us. So it's not harsh and overbearing, even though we're convicted of our sin. The Bible tells us that we're sinners and we fall short, but it also tells us what is needed for change and how change is possible. That Jesus came to this earth not to condemn, not to destroy sinners, but to die for sinners so that he might cleanse us from sin. And so as the Bible shows us where we fall short, and we need the Bible to do that, as we see that, we also see areas where we can be cleansed more from sin because it's only when we look straight in the eyes of our sin that we can be cleansed from it. If we deny it or we try to hide it or put it in the background, it will never change. It will stay there and it will just continue to grow like that mold in the dark, right? But when we shine the light of God's word on it, then we are able to be changed. We're able to confess it. We're able to receive grace and be cleansed from it. Jesus came to destroy sin. And as we look at the Bible, as we study it, as we know it, God's word will not only show us our sin, but get, begin to change us into people who don't sin, who sin less, right? The, there's an old phrase that says, sin will, either sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. And that is so true. As we are in the word more, it shows us our sin and it, it empowers us through the grace of God to not sin as much. So that's one result of the word of God. It brings conviction so that we can be cleansed from our sin. But the other result in this passage is that the word of God brings joy. We see that in verse 12, that all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Sounds a lot like Christmas, actually, because they had understand they had understood the words that were declared to them. So think of the joy usually. I know holidays have a mix of emotions, but generally Christmas is like the most wonderful time of the year, right? So think of those joys, those emotions. Well, the people, they felt that when they heard the word of God. Right? It brought this joy to them. They understood the word. They had joy through the word. The Bible says that eternal life is knowing God. So the Bible talks about how we have eternal life. We know God through abiding with him. John 15 says it that way, that Jesus tells us, abide in him and I will abide in you. And then he says, if my words abide in you, then I will abide in you. So he, he says the same thing, but he says it a different way the second time. And he's meaning to tell us that if, if we're abiding in the words of God, if his words are abiding in us, they're embedded in us, then that's how we get Jesus abiding more and more in us. It's through the word of God as we implant it in us, as it's rooted in us, that's how we have more fellowship with God. That's how we are abiding more and more with him through his word. And we have that fellowship. And as we have that fellowship with God, that's where the joy comes. We know that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. We remember that Jesus said that he came to bring life and life abundantly, right? And that comes through 
the word of God. We have that fellowship. We have that joy through the word of God, that everlasting joy. And so when we look at our lives and we think and we evaluate and maybe we wonder whether our life is really very enjoyable at times, right? The solution is not to find a hobby we enjoy or to consume more entertainment or think that if a certain situation or a certain relationship changed, then we would have more joy in our lives, right? According to the Bible, those things aren't the root, the source of where joy comes from. According to the Bible, joy comes through the word of God. And we see that with these people here as they heard, they rejoice. And so we must believe that truth and seek out the word of God for that eternal joy, that everlasting joy. And so that brings us back really to where we started right? What do we really need in life? What do we really need? The world tells us that our truest, our deepest needs start with physical needs, the needs for safety, that moves to belonging, love, self-esteem. And when we have those things, and only when we have those things will we have a, a fulfilling life, truly the best life we can have. But the Bible announces us something else, something different. We didn't really touch on this as we went through, but you'll notice that these people, if you remember the context and you just see where they're at, these people who heard the word of God, they didn't really have all those things on that pyramid, that hierarchy, right? There wasn't a lot of safety as they were rebuilding Jerusalem. They were always under threats. There wasn't a lot of security that they were going to have all these other needs. In fact, there were relationships that were broken. There was all these things going on. They didn't have all those circumstances that often you'll hear or you'll think, this is what I need for my life to be right. But they did have one thing. They had what they needed. They had the word of God. They had the Bible. And Ezra brought them the word. He read it to them. He explained it to them. And that was the core foundation of what they needed That was what they needed to restore their worship to God. They needed the Bible. And this is what we need. This is what we need to have joy, to be convicted of sin, to be cleansed from our sin. We need the word of God, not just right circumstances, but the word of God in our lives to abide in us so that we will abide with God through his word. And that is always something to think about at the end of the year, right? As we think about how this year has been and what's going to happen this next year, a lot of times we think of resolutions. I would challenge you this year, how can you look back and see where have I maybe fallen short in not abiding in the word of God, not reading, not putting it in my life? How can I change that? How can I make it different this year? How can I read the word more, not just read it, but understand it? Maybe that comes through just a a challenge to read through the book of Matthew in the month of January. That's one chapter a day for the weekdays of January. Pretty doable. But maybe that's a place to start. If you don't have a regular habit, make plans to just read through the book of Matthew in the month of January. One chapter a day. 
but how do we need to respond to what he has said to us in his word this morning? Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father God, we are thankful for your word. You truly tell us what we need for life. We need to know you and we know you through your word through the Bible that you have given to us and revealed to us your perfect word that fully equips us for everything we need in life, that gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would love it like the psalmist in Psalm 119 loves your word, that we would taste it and see how good it is. And we would want more of it like a newborn baby who desires milk, that we would want more of your word. I pray that that would characterize us individually and as a church, that we would love your word more, that we would be a people who gather around your word and are expecting to hear from you as we open it, and that we would live it out and obey it, and that, that would, we would be a place where people can come and they will know that they will hear from you through your word, God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.